last week. Uh, I, I'm sure that that to, to see the pyramids is an unbelievable sight. You know, we have the the gift today to be able to have watch movies and such, but it's one thing to see it in a movie, pictures and YouTube. It's another thing to stand right in front of it and go, that's quite a that's quite a thing. So in in chapters we, we've gone through in chapter three to which the Lord says to Moses, I want you to go and deliver them out of there. And it's that point where we always hear that song, and I think it's on some of our uh, video lessons, Let my people go. Remember that song? That is the year before. Yeah. <laughs> is that who's saying? <laughs> yeah, a very deep one. Let my people go. And so Moses immediately says, no, a non-union job, I can't do that. <laughs> now, he, he tries to get out of it, and finally God says, all right, you're... <laughs> We're going to get Aaron, and Aaron's going to be the spokesman for this. And uh, so as he goes through the, uh, what's going on here in Exodus, that Moses shows up, and he convinces the people that he's going to deliver them out of there. In the meantime, Pharaoh says, these people are getting strong. Remember, he's, he's tried to kill the youth. Moses says, I, I want to let the people go. And Moses says, not only am I not going to let them go, I want you, the taskmasters, to stop supplying them with straw. Let them go get their own straw. And so the people, true to form, they complain to Moses about how hard life is. And life, life is going to be hard. And it might be one of those things that is a lesson that they should have remembered. Because... It's not going to be too long into their journey that they're going to say, man, we had leeks and onions and garlic and fish. We had it made back there. And they forget that Pharaoh says, make them get their stubble. Then things really got hard. It, it may be, perhaps it goes without saying, that we forget what it was like to be in slavery and bondage. And each of us here says, oh, I've never been in slavery and bondage. Really, what did Paul say that we were in before we became Christians? We were slaves to sin. And so when they think, well, you know, life, my life, I was having so much fun back there. I was partying, I was doing what, I had my Sundays to myself. I, <laughs> I could read whatever, I didn't worry about reading that Bible. I had, my life was my own. And we forget that we were slaves to sin. We forget about how bad that it was. If I could just go back there. I could just go back. No. Remember, because Paul will write, those things that were written aforetime, written for our instruction. And he talks in the letter to the Corinthians about those things that the Israelites grumbled about. Those were written for us. Written for our example in that. Of things that happen. Don't be like those people. So, as, we, as he comes through and they're... They're really not quite convinced. Uh, we come down to the genealogy at the end of chapter 6, and it's worth noting in that genealogy that whenever you see that someone's age is given, it's given for a reason, and I call those the little breadcrumbs that are dropped for us to follow. 
Whenever you see the dates, when you come down to the end of chapter 6, when it says uh, in verse 16, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years old. Why, why does he suddenly give the ages of Levi? And then he comes down to verse 18, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. Then you drop down to verse 20, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, and the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. So when you go to connect the dots and say, well, how long were the Israelites in Egypt? I think, oh, I remember that there were some ages given back in Genesis chapter 5. And there have been ages given of people. And it says that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And it says that Joseph was, or Joseph was 39 years old when he, went in, uh, when, uh, when he came back. He was 30 years old when he went into the service. And it tells that Joseph was 110 years old when he died. And then it says that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob was, he says, boy, long have been the years of my life and bitter. He tells him how old he was, 130 years old. Why are those ages given? They're given so people like me who love that type of stuff can, can put them all together. So when it says he's going to come back in the fourth generation, as they promised in Genesis chapter 15, look at Exodus chapter 6 in the fourth generation. It makes all sense to us. So now we come down to chapter 7. We're going to talk about the ten plagues, which is the sheet that you have how many of you got the black and white version? As opposed to the color version. Color? color? They're all the same. They're all, just one is, is in black and white and the other one's in color. But it's the outline on this side that we're going to, to look at. Pardon me? I, if you need crayons, anybody, I can. that's what the uh, black and white was for. So we talk about the ten plagues of Egypt. Go all the way to the bottom of that sheet. Down past ten, the last line. What do these plagues have in common with those in Revelation? Okay, so we look. What is the purpose of the plagues, the ten plagues in Egypt? Well, it's going to try to change Pharaoh's mind. Letting know who is God. Remember, we back up into the book of Genesis, and when God is going to, he's going to introduce himself as God, it's not just, I'm the creator of heaven, but there is a certain God who is God. Because Egypt will call their gods, small g, gods, small g, and goddesses. And those who are the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Gergesites, they all have their own gods. But God introduces himself. He says, I am the God of, and he mentions three people over and over. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac, not Ishmael. He's the God of Ishmael, but he identifies himself as the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's how we know who the true God is. And now he's introduced himself to Moses as Jehovah. 
even though the word Lord is used throughout the book of Genesis, it is what we believe Moses is the one who records it. But Moses is sort of going back and saying, but God says, to those people, they didn't know me as that. But you, I'm going to let you know who I am. I name Jehovah. Jesus would make, he would make note of that when the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, so they're sad, you see. I see. Sometimes that's funny. They're sad, you see. That was so yesterday. So the Sadducees are saying, you know, this guy, he, guy, he gets married and then to this woman and he, he dies. Well, according to the law of Moses, the brother is supposed to bring up the offspring after this. It's the kinsman redeemer idea, uh, in a sense. And then the second one, the second brother, the third, fourth, and then on down to the seventh. And then they ask him the question. In the resurrection, ha, 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 because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in life after death. In the resurrections, who's she going to be? Because they've all seven had her. And Jesus says... You know neither the word nor the power of God. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So it's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. He's the God of Abraham. And remember, when he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, remember he's talking about the promise. Now the promise was made to Ishmael that he was going to be a great nation as well. But he's not going to be the great nation of promise that the seed is going to come through. And then when it comes down to Jacob, Jacob now becomes that. And Paul will talk about this in the, his letter to the Galatians uh, when he talks about the, uh, the, uh, the difference between Sarah and Rahab. Not Rahab. Uh, the, the maiden to Sarah. Hagar. Hagar, yes. You get a gold star. Hagar. Yeah. And he says, uh, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't through Hagar that the promise came. It came through Sarah. So he's, he's identifying this all along. And now we come down to uh, this, these plagues that are going to be on here. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says that Moses, I've revealed myself to you in the burning bush. And now I'm going to make myself known to Egypt to Pharaoh, and the entire world. Because we're still talking about this for 2022, and this took place somewhere around 1500 BC. So 3,500 years later, we're still talking about what God did in the plagues to Egypt. Still talking about it, as far as what happened. Now, we look at the individual, and you can memorize each of those plagues is what they are. It's a good idea to do that. You can do it. But what do they represent? Why does God use these individual plagues to prove his point? He could have done anything. 
He could have made a tsunami come up out of the Nile. Yes, exactly. And that's what each of these, if you look at them, and remember, the uh, I, I, a little quiz on you when I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I missed my ear, is uh, what do ancient Egypt and our modern social media have in common? Ancient Egypt, they wrote on walls and worshiped cats. In Facebook, they worship cats and we write on other people's walls. That'll be on the final exam, by the way. You are sad, you see. <laughs> <laughs> so Egypt had a, you look at, and, and some of these gods, you think, if you are up on your Greek and Roman mythology, you're going to say, well, some of these look, look the same. Remember, Egypt has a whole host of gods. Roman and Greek mythology have a whole host of gods. But God is going to show them that he, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the creator of the universe, he is God and not them. And he's going to use ten different plagues that are going to be somewhat related to their gods. He's going to show them how he is more powerful than them. And the first one, the first plague is water becomes blood. And that's in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. This is the judgment against the gods of Egypt. These are what really these are, is to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians that the God Almighty is more powerful than theirs, which are, as Paul would say, they're not. He says, we know that these are no gods at all. He writes this to the, uh, the church in, in Corinth in Rome. We know these. You eat food sacrifice. We know those gods are nothing at all, right? Amen? To us today. We know, we know that these. We know that the 330 million gods of Hindu are no gods at all. It's as Isaiah uh, described it. He says, you take a block of wood and you measure it out, you carve this in, then you cut it in half, and then you burn that piece of wood that the other half we fashioned into a god and you make a fire for. They aren't anything. They're creations of man's mind. But God Almighty is not the creation of man's mind. We are the creation of God's mind. And we are here in the flesh. We're not part of some dream in the Matrix. Really. Even though the new Matrix movie has come out, we are not in someone else's dream in the Matrix. You can quote me on that. These are each uh, an attack. Yes. On the assertiveness. Yeah. Knickknacks and what is it they call those, the things that you decorate your house with? They're called decor, decor not knickknacks. They're called uh, uh, yeah, junk. Um, but yeah, it, it's all they are. Did you did you explain of how the the magicians in Egypt were able to turn their staffs into snakes? 
No, I don't know. I was I was hoping you came up with that. Yeah, we we don't have the explanation. Oh, that it's down. The first two, the magicians of Egypt were able to somehow manufacture something in this, along with Moses' uh, staff that he threw down. Uh, And God does this by design. I am absolutely convinced of this. He does the things that the magicians can fake at first, but they're not going to be able to fake. Pretty soon they're going to come to the realization in their own mind, uh, this one's a little bit difficult for us. And I, I love watching that show uh, where they reveal the secrets of the magicians, the illusionists. And the guy was, he was really, has anybody ever seen that? And, and he explains how all these are done. The card tricks, the, yeah, and they're, and you do it and you think, I can't believe I, because when they first show the, the illusion, I think, this has got to be real. How That bus disappeared. I saw it. Or, you know, he goes around and something disappears. And they take the cameras around and they show them. You know, they let you, as they say in The Wizard of Oz, they let you peek behind the curtain and see how. And it's all illusions. It's all tricks. Smoke and mirrors. So that's what they have done. So it's the judgment against the gods of Egypt. Apis, the god of the Nile, and Isis, goddess of the Nile. Canum, the guardian of the source of the Nile. Because the Nile was sacred. Pharaoh was sacred. And they had the Nile was sacred. Animals were sacred. The sun was sacred. Everything, they, they, everything was a god to them. Yeah. Lord of the, in fact, they use the term Lord of the Flies when I, when I look. Because I want to know, you know, what are these? It was the Lord of the Flies. And, and not the book that was made. Uh, so the uh, considered by the Egyptians as the bloodstream, the Nile was the bloodstream of Osiris. But in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, he says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. So by these things that I'm showing you, you're going to know that I am the Lord. And he's unconvinced in the beginning. He's unconvinced because his magicians throw their staffs down, able to do exactly what most. What? I've seen all that before. Go ahead, throw your staffs down there. But Moses stick eats them, consumes them. Now he comes down and it says that the magicians could duplicate this, chapter 7, verse 22. They could do it. So why would Moses or uh, Pharaoh capitulate and say, okay, you can go? No. He says, you're doing the same thing I can. Yeah, the, the red tide, the algae that comes up the Nile, all these can be explained in their way. But you can't explain how Moses says, tomorrow morning this will all be gone. 
Mm -hmm. And they stank. Not stunk. Stank. Yeah, Moses is unconvinced, even though it's the bloodstream of the god Osiris. Unconvinced by it. Hardens his heart. Next thing is uh, in Exodus 8, 1 through 15, the frogs. This is a judgment against uh, Hekat, the Egyptian frog-headed goddess of birth. But the magicians could duplicate this. I don't know how. I mean, I can go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, and I can get frog legs. I don't know where I'm going with it. Oh, yes, but you know, frog legs. You know, they have, I don't know what they do with all the frogs that take the legs off. I've seen them in wheelchairs before, but it's only a cartoon, really. No frogs were hurt. Uh, but how the magicians were able to duplicate this, we don't know. But he gives them the easy ones that they're able to do it first. And again, by design. And the, the Egyptian frog-headed goddess of birth, Yep, that's a judgment against her. And now we come down to gnats, or how many of you say lice? Gnats and lice could be interchangeable. This is the uh, judgment against Set or Seth, the Egyptian god of the desert. Because where did they come from? No, I'm glad you brought that up. How long do you think this took? My mind wants to say, oh, one just, when the, when the Nile was cleaned up, well, the next day the frogs came. When the, when the frogs were done in a couple days, then the gnat. It could have been. It, it certainly was a long length of time. And when we come down to and the locusts, it gives us insight into this in that it says that the early crops were affected, but the late crops hadn't come in yet. But then the next one takes care of the lay crops. So this could have been weeks or months in between. It, it was quite a while. This, this took a long time for this to happen. It doesn't happen in just a space of a week or two. This, this is, and by that time, you'd have thought, okay, he'd have got the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the his advisors, because the, at one point the advisors come to him, other times there, there are the magicians or sorcerers, depending on what your versions say. And they're probably giving him, you know, advice. We can do this. Well, we can't do the gnats, because that's number three. It says the magicians could not duplicate this. Well, we can't do the gnats, but don't worry about that. We've got plenty of other tricks up our sleeve. You know, they may have been there on the side advising him, but Pharaoh was a proud Remember, this is Egypt, and Egypt is one of the oldest civilizations. Am I saying that right? One of the oldest kingdoms in civilization. Ethiopia, uh, Egypt, Damascus is one of the oldest in the world. So there's a lot of, in India, the, those areas, that were a lot of ancient kingdoms, but, but Egypt has come to prominence. They're... Uh, the pharaohs and their certain reigns that were, that were going through here. 
they had been around for a long time, and they had risen to power. He had great power. And uh, he'll come to great power after this as well, because there's going to come a time in the book of Kings where it says that a million Egyptians were killed. So he had at least a million-man army later on in there. So the Nats, that's the, uh, the judgment against another one of their gods. And uh, they say in verse eight, 19 of chapter 8, this is the finger of God. They're beginning to understand, his advisors and magicians, this is the finger of God. I don't know as they're convinced that it's one of the fingers of one of the gods, but they relate it and say, this is the, the God of the Israelites. And that's many times what, what they will say, especially when you go later into the books of Jeremiah and Daniel, that when Nebuchadnezzar will say, this is the God of the Hebrews or the Israelites. I'm not sure which one term he uses, the God of the Jews, the God of Daniel. Not necessarily our God, but it's the God of him. And you better not say anything bad against him. So they begin to, while they're not convinced that there's only one God, they are convinced that there is a very powerful God of these Hebrews, Israelites, Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And imagine trying to get a drink of water, because it says everywhere. Yeah, if you're if you're thirsty, that, that's a long time to go. Yeah, in Egypt. So as each one comes down, we come down to the pestilence, and I want to uh, draw your attention to God over and over in the Old Testament, and then when you get to the Book of Revelation, there are four things that God uses to get people's attention, especially countries and empires. He uses the sword. And when he says he uses the sword, what is that indicative of? War. And then when he talks about pestilence, which is disease. And then when he talks about famine, it's lack of water, which ultimately leads to the failure of crops. So he talks about sword, pestilence, famine, and then he'll use every once in a while wild animals. I, I don't know how he turns all the wild animals against us, but, uh, but he used those four. And those four, but especially the first three, sword, famine, and pestilence, we find those at work here. The sword, when the Egyptians were coming after them, we have the famine and we have pestilence. All of those are contained. And when you come down to the book of, uh, especially Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, they all talk about this. He says, this is how I'm going to get your attention. But he tells them in the book of Deuteronomy, he says, I'm going to try to get your attention. He's talking to Israelites. I'm going to try to get your attention. When you, sw- when you swerve and you sway and you stray away from me, he says, I'm going to use these three. I'm going to use the sword. And if you won't repent, then I'm going to use pestilence. And if you still won't turn back to me, I'm going to use the famine. And if you still won't, then I'm just going to throw you into exile. He says, I'm going to use these. And he uses those same techniques and tactics over and over in the Old Testament. And he talks about it in the book of Revelation, which is in the future of what's happening there. I'm going to use these over and over. It's nothing new. And so if I were... If I were just, just creative enough to think of 
those things that God says he's always going to use to get people's attention. And I would think, wow, I wonder if God still does that today. I wonder if, if there are wars going on to where God was trying to get people's attention. If that would make a country turn back to God. Or what if there were pestilence and disease? Yes, and, he, and at a certain part it says, and they still wouldn't repent. Now, how hard-headed do people have to be? Because we think, why wouldn't Pharaoh repent? And probably, yes, and it's probably exactly what his magicians were saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing to worry about. That's, we can do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. In the fifth, uh, in the fifth plague, the pestilence, in chapter nine and verse seven, Pharaoh investigates to see if it's so. He looked into it to see. You see, it doesn't tell us in the in the first three, but. Beginning in verse 4, it tells us that God is going to distinguish between the Israelites and the Egyptians. It's going to happen. It doesn't mean that those things didn't happen or, or happen to the Israelites, but it begins, it begins to be noticed that it's only happening to the Egyptians and not the Israelites. So little by little, and Pharaoh looks into this in chapter 9 to see this was. Now we have the boils, and the magicians could not stand before Moses for the boils. It's happening to them. And so each of the, you look at the gods, then it comes down to hail. The, uh, and it tells us in verse 14 of chapter 9 that the plagues are now directed against Moses 
country and the people. He begins to say these judgments are now coming personally against them. Now, you might say, well, yeah, it was personal before. He was doing all those things to people. But now it specifically tells us that this is directed exactly against, the, against Pharaoh. Chapter 9 and verse 14. Uh, but he also offers them in the hail. He says, but I'll protect you. He says, I'm going to bring hail. He gives them the warning. He says, but if you will shelter yourself, you won't be harmed by this. So in a sense, God is giving them an out. And some of them took it, but others didn't. And if they didn't, it killed man and beast if they were out in this. So God is, he's offering them hope in all of this. And Pharaoh simply won't take it. Over and over, he keeps saying, so that you'll know this. You're going you're gonna to know. I am the Lord. I do all of these things. He's just trying to get their attention in all of this. So it comes down to the plague number eight, which is the locusts. And uh, the earlier crops that have been spared are now devoured by the locusts. That didn't last long. Didn't last long. Second bell? Okay. Uh, and then he comes Then he comes to darkness, which is the... Uh, I want to go back to... Um, <laughs> We're going to come back to this next week. <laughs> Thank you. Any